Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How are you doing today, Adam? (laughs) That's how I'm doing, Ben. One of those days, huh? I'm looking around my home and I'm just seeing a bunch of things that I'm soon going to have to pack up, Ben. Oh, man, this is big news. I didn't know we were, if we were breaking news on this episode or not. Yeah, I mean, why don't why don't we go ahead and say it? Why don't we say the thing that we've known for a couple of weeks? Uh, and if it doesn't end up happening, then, you know, we can cut all this out. I mean, I know that you've known, and I have not wanted to pry because, I don't know, <laughs> overestimate how annoying that will be, probably. But um, my wife keeps asking, like, so is it? Is it happening? Is it? Is this? Is this the plan? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, that was the plan last last I heard anything. I mean, it wasn't super definitive, but yeah. And uh, and and she wants to kill me. So, <laughs> I think your instinct about not prying is going to be what saves our friendship in the long term. Uh, <laughs> once I move down to L.A., which is what is going to happen. Uh, not just me, both me and my wife moving to Los Angeles. What about the Doge? Is the Doge coming? Uh, the Doge is coming. Our dusty cat is coming. <laughs> the whole family's coming. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my lovely wife took a job in Los Angeles, one of the 13 parts of Los Angeles. She took, yeah. a, she took a job there. and uh, She took a job in a part of Los Angeles that may as well be Seattle as yeah. far as traveling to it from where I live is concerned. This is a thing that you and I have discussed. It should come as no surprise to anyone who I think has ever seen us do a live show that you and I are very protective of this thing of ours. Yeah. So protective that... Uh, that we are reluctant to even hang out on tour <laughs> because we know people who have turned uh, work friendships into uh, work, not friendships after the work gets done. And we don't yeah. want to be that work couple. So, right. Like, it is with that kind of trepidation that I'm looking at our proximity changing. But it sounds like you and I are simpatico about the whole, like, not wanting to kill the golden microphone here. Yeah, the uh, the microphone that lays the golden eggs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's been difficult because uh, moving sucks, and that is not uh, that's not new news to anyone. Right. That, I thought we'd be done with that. We got rid of all our boxes, Ben. Yeah. Every one of them. Is this the kind of professional move where the company involved will chip in on the on that process? That's kind of a good news. Bad news thing, right? Because yeah. uh, the good news is that they are working to help the move happen, and that's one of the ways in which they will. But, you know, along with accepting a, a large company's help, you are subject to a big company's choices. Right. And so, like, I, I don't know. Maybe the moving company is cool. Maybe they're not. Yeah, it's a that's a weird a weird phenomenon where 
one big company hires another company to be custodians of all your personal shit. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to drive a car down and like a whole bunch of other things. Like it's wow. included in the thing. So look, these aren't problems per se. These no, are but just, it's work. It's a ton of shit you have to do that doesn't doesn't get you anything. I fully recognize that these are fine problems to have. Both my wife and I are employed and we are the recipients of a this kind of help. So it's great. Full stop. It's great. What about living in a different city, though? Like th- this will be your first time, right? My family moved around when I was very young, but... Once we settled in Seattle, I mean, I was of an age where it started to matter. Yeah. And so I consider myself someone who might as well have been born and raised in the Seattle area. So yeah, that comes with this, the first real move away of any distance. Yeah. Big adventure. Yeah. That's the the outlook I'm striving to give it, you know? Yeah. It's hard for someone like me to not see it as a list of things to do because that is just how my broken mind works. (laughs) I know that I have been insufficiently excited for my great wife about this. Yeah. And that sucks. I'm trying to really put in a lot lot of effort in uh, my own personal outlook on this, which I think in the end is obviously going to be positive. My wife's going to be much happier in her job. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be warm in the winter months, and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, you'll have fewer fewer weather-related things to complain about, for sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be nice. And uh, once we get down there, it's going to be it's going to be really fun and cool. I think we we will for sure celebrate uh, when you guys get down here. And, yeah, we'll uh, we'll pick a middle ground between us, like Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, equally horrible to get to. Yeah, no for matter both. where you're coming from. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, when when we were about to move out here, I went I went out to this dinner, and Dan Kennedy, host host of the Moth Podcast, was one of the people at it, and I happened to sit across from him. And Dan and I have the kind of easy rapport of two very. Uh, <laughs> high anxiety depressive weirdos uh and just like got got like way too deep way too quick i would say but i was telling him about uh some of my fears about moving to la and how you know i didn't want it to destroy my marriage uh or cause me to slip back into a paralyzing depression which was the state I was in when I moved away from California, mm. you know, I, I had come to associate California with like a very bad situation. And moving itself, probably. Yeah. And the advice he gave me was basically like, you're going to see yourself from a new vantage point and you've grown a ton since since then and you've designed an adult life for yourself since then. So chances are uh, it's going to be a great thing and like getting more information about oneself uh, is always good i hope so i mean i think the people who say that are probably the ones that like what they've found i'm going to tell you as somebody <laughs> looking in from the outside adam you're going to like what you find thanks man i do appreciate hearing that uh sincerely yeah god it's almost here too like that's the thing of it like 
Yeah, this news came up super suddenly. Yeah, and the move will also come up suddenly, so. This is also in a context, like, over the last year, your wife has looked at a lot of employment opportunities that were not limited to within the lower 48. Like, right. there was discussion of you guys moving to Madrid yep. and London. Yeah, and Luxembourg. We were, we have we have had a bunch of conversations about what it's going to look like in the Adam lives in Europe version of the future. A very and... laggy podcast is what <laughs> I imagine it would be. Like the, you you would hear the laughs come in even later. <laughs> yeah, the uncomfortable silences would be even more uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, the uh, the fact that you're moving to the same. Uh, municipality as me is uh, is very exciting for me personally. Yeah, even even if it's not super close. I think of all the possible outcomes to a location change for job. I mean, this is probably the best one, right? Uh, if you'd moved to New York, I would have just turned into a jealous shitbag, and <laughs> <laughs> that probably would have ended the pod marriage right there. Right now, you're just a jealous shit sack. Just a little, <laughs> little shit coin purse, Ben. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's all you are right now. <laughs> uh, well, Adam, speaking of uh, changes of venue, big changes afoot on, uh, on the Deep Space Nine program. Sure is. Do you want to uh, get into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's go ahead and get into Deep Space Nine Season 5, Episode 14 in... Purgatory's Shadow. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. This is a unique episode for its title card up front, Ben. Yeah. It is a it is an episode that's dedicated to a person named Derek Garth, who in doing a little bit of research I found had died in a car accident while working on this episode he was a grip on the show and he was a beloved guy and i thought it might be a good opportunity to talk a little bit about what it's like to experience the death of a person at a workplace this is something that i've personally experienced i don't know if it's something that that you have in your work life but i have so studiously avoided workplaces that i (laughs) have not experienced this I, I just can't imagine. A grip is a person with a kind of omnipresence on a set. And yeah. it's one of the jobs that I feel like touches every department in its own way. And uh, as a role, like there are roles on set that attract assholes. And uniquely, I think grips tend to be just salt of the earth. Yeah. Great people. Right. They're the ones that you're going to want to befriend uh, on any set right away. It sucks. It sucks to uh, live a work life with the expectation of certain people around and the comforts that come from those relationships to a moment when they're suddenly gone. And that had to feel terrible for everyone who knew Derek Garth. And I think notably, uh, you know, you see a lot of these title cards at the end of episodes. Right. And I think it is meaningful that this one comes at the front. Yeah. I mean, it... It is uh, uniquely devastating to lose somebody during a production, I imagine. Yeah, and to know exactly what episode to, like, boy, can't imagine it. It's tough. 
Yeah. Uh, this episode opens with Odo Mr. Bucket. kind of packing back into his apartment all of the shape-shifting objects that uh, I guess he cleared out when he was solidified. So. <laughs> really missed an opportunity to get uh, Kira sitting on the ground next to that twisty metal thing with an Allen wrench and, uh, <laughs> and a sheet of Swedish yeah. notes. Right. The guy look at with uh, with confusion in his mind and a phone number to call if in that case, in that scenario because it's got to be assembled in the condo right they didn't move that through the door yeah my my parents had a couch that they had to like take an entire window out of their house to get into the into the house like I think they'd had it at their previous place and when they moved they just didn't realize that this couch was so small but. My dad is an is an architect, so willing to heavily modify a house for almost no reason, <laughs> but removed this this entire window assembly and then kind of like got it back in place good enough for now. Ooh. And then like five years went by with it kind of just like you know naked unfinished wood <laughs> wow. behind the jam. Odo is a guy who has to be great at moving and great at the packaging too, right? Like, if he's moving a couch, he's also the bubble wrap around the couch. He can do it all. <laughs> yeah. He kind of reminds me of George Costanza, where, like, he's talking to Kira in this episode, and it's kind of the, like, belly aching, like, oh, I got to move all this crap back in now that I'm gold again. And it's like, uh, it's like George in a relationship where George getting you know getting a tv show at nbc if he's in he he just wants to be out and if he's out all he wants is to be in you know <laughs> yeah yeah he just can't be satisfied it's all just slipping away <laughs> and you're letting it happen it's interesting that kira is with him i think it represents a thawing of that moment that came a few episodes ago when kira realized that odo was a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that like this is one of those like uh, album tracking issues. Like, I feel like we've had a couple of Odo episodes where, or I guess it was two episodes ago, right? That Odo got back to being a gold. Yeah. But then there was like an uh, an interregnum episode where it wasn't even mentioned that that was like a phenomenon. Right. So so a little bit like like picking up like a little late where they left off. And I think that like Kira's relationship with him and his goldness got kind of tabled as, as issues for a little while. One thing you're going to want to do when you're getting ready to move is pack up all your embarrassing stuff. And by that, <laughs> I'm talking about like your pornography, your yeah. sex toys, your seduction books. Finding and winning your perfect mate by Dr. Jennings Rain. I'll take that. This is something yeah. that Kira picks up on right away. As she's she's not she even snooping. She finds his copy of the game. Yeah, you can't just leave the game out on your nightstand, Odo. You got to <laughs> do better than that. Yeah, I mean, who knows, man? Like almost everything in his apartment is potentially a sex toy. I find that by starting with kind of a half compliment. <laughs> You get the other person interested in getting your approval on other things. Mr. Odo, 
You don't need to compliment that strange metal object in the corner of your room. That is inert. And like my wife Rashan, will be receptive to all of your overtures. <laughs> Inanimate objects. Who cares what they think? Uh, so, uh, we're jumping around, we get them, uh, they get called up to Ops, where a Cardassian signal has been intercepted. Uh, Dax and Cisco are working on this, and, uh, and it's like a, some kind of Cardassian transmission coming through the r- wormhole, and they can't decode it. They're, uh, they try to get, like, Bajoran intelligence to decode it. They're no good. And the suggestion is made that... We do have an expert in Cardassian codes living on the station. It's kind of dropped out there. And then I really like this cut, which is they cut to Garrick getting breakfast or lunch with Zial and Dr. Bashir and kind of recounting how he was called up to check out this message. Well, how did it go? Oh, I'm afraid I disappointed them. It's a great show, not tell. As Garrick tells... Bashir and Zial, uh, the message was nothing. It was a nothing burger. Right. It was just a planetary survey. And uh, Zial and Bashir agree that that must be a huge disappointment to him. Yeah. I mean, this is a good scene for kind of resetting the viewer's memory of of antecedent events. Like there was that whole Cardassian Romulan fleet that went in to try and uh, preemptively strike the Dominion. And and they got their pants pulled down really badly. Garrick has been told by change leader that everyone is dead. And so like the idea that Starfleet was excited that maybe they'd gotten word from uh, that fleet, Garrick has disabused them of. And he takes his leave from breakfast, says he's got to go mend some trousers, etc., etc. And uh, he heads off and uh, Zial confesses to Bashir, that she's kind of got the sweets for for Garrick. There's something about Garrick I find fascinating. It's crazy, this great big station, hundreds or maybe even thousands of people aboard. The only two Cardassians have found each other. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. I mean, it's like you and I, like uh, that first time we hung out, we saw each other from across the room as uh, kindred spirits. Yeah, avoiding eye contact with each other and everyone else. <laughs> You're as uncomfortable as I am, yeah. and for all the same reasons. Yeah, to Garrick, though, uh, a pair of pants that needs mending ends up being a runabout. That needs hijacking. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's sneaking aboard a runabout, and he gets on there, and he's got a, a dust buster in his nose. Yeah. The Bashir with a with sort of a bad guy reveal here. Yeah, Bashir like living his best spy life. I yeah. would say Bashir saw right through his dissembling at breakfast and uh, and decided to just go sit on the runabout with a dustbuster just in case Garrick tried to steal it. What I love about Garrick in this moment is that he does that thing that people who get caught try to do, which is try to cut in. The guy who caught you <laughs> into the thing you're trying to do. So Garrick's yeah. like, look, man, why don't you come with me? Because then yeah. uh, you'd be in on the spy mission and that would benefit you. Right. And Bashir's like, cool. Yeah, let's definitely do the mission uh, once we have permission from my boss. Yeah. So Garrick made the case that 
of course Bashir would want to go along on this thing. It, 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 he needs to rescue a Nabrintain. And to Dr. Bashir, a rescue mission is irresistible. It's like, uh, it's like drinking a glass of piss. <laughs> I just I feel like there must be like a like a cork board somewhere in your house with Bashir on one side and a glass of piss on the other side and you have like red thread connecting all over all these different topics to get to the glass of piss. I have a theory about this whole thing that I will share with you later on in the app, but I think <laughs> I think our feelings about Bashir will be confirmed later on in this story that we're telling. Wow. In Cisco's office, Garrick admits that uh, he can find the source of this thing. This isn't just a planetary survey. It's a message. And it's a message from a Nabrantain. And the message says, alive, alive, alive. So who else could it be from? It has to be a Nabrantain. The code sequence was personally designed by Tain and myself. No one else knows it. Yeah. Only he could come up with something that incisive. Right. <laughs> Garrick kind of turns into salesman Garrick in this moment because he's like, yeah, like this, this is like troops, like Cardassian and Romulan troops, probably a bunch of Federation ships and their crew members. Everybody could be at the source of this signal. And these are going to be people we need in case we ever get to set trip in with the Dominion. That's a great description. And when he starts selling here, he does not stop selling for the entire episode. <laughs> he really doesn't. Yeah. He is that guy. He knows that Rack DeGino is for closers only. Right. So Cisco is fairly open-minded about this idea. I just want to bask in that ding. <laughs> well, for now. <laughs> You've got 10 dings written down on your notepad. Yeah. You son of a bitch. They're all in that red thread between Bashir and the class of Paris. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so it it feels so sweet when I get one because I don't I don't pre-plan my dings. I've never pre-planned a ding, Ben. You know that. Come on. Oh man. I, pride goes before the fall, Pranica. I'm not saying I have any amount of pride in it at all. It's just what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of hey, that? Speaking of pride, speaking of pride, uh, Worf is uh, is being real smug about taking the gig of. Uh, replacing Bashir, uh, escorting Garrick into the G Quad. He's using some kind of uh, like Jordi LaForge uh, beard shaver to sharpen his mechleth while Dax yells at him because she is pissed that he is going on this mission. I was going to tell you. When? On your way out the airlock? Really climbing up his ass about a work thing. They make the case that he kind of volunteered for it, but. Do you ever really volunteer for something when you're in the military? I don't think so. And also, if Dax is going to be pissed at anyone, why not get pissed at Cisco? Get pissed at Cisco. Yeah, I guess the volunteerism thing is is at the crux of this. But Dax is even more pissed that she found out secondhand about this mission, and that's because Worf didn't tell her directly. That's no right. good. That's a bad look for Worf, for sure. Um, so she's going to extract her pound of melota in the form of taking all of his honey sticks with his Klingon operas. And this is uh, th this has real stakes for Worf. It seems like these are the only copies of these Klingon operas he has and the only way he has of getting his hands on them. Come on, Worf. Two is one and one is none. You should know this. Yeah. yeah. 
a half full tank of gas is an empty tank of gas. Right. Get it together, Worf. Uh, the scene is here to remind us also that they're still super hot for each other. Uh, we're given the gift of like a 27 second makeout. Yeah. I guess Risa didn't ruin them. Ended with Z- with Dax saying, have a glorious death or don't. Yeah. I, I would kind of like to be told that every time I leave the house. That'd be nice. <laughs> really encourage me to go seize the day, I think. I'm just walking the dog. What What are you talking about? <laughs> what? What What are you telling me? Nobody more than Adam experiences the very real feeling that you might be heading to your own death every time you walk outside the yeah. house. Kill walking your doggy. Speaking of ladies that are sad that their gentlemen are heading into danger, Zial uh, begs Garrick not to do this. I feel bad for Zial here because... She seems like someone who constantly gets stomped for sharing her true feelings about a thing. Yeah. And here it's no different. She doesn't even directly admit feelings for Garrick. She sort of cutely cops two of them. And Garrick is just straight mean. I'm a loner, daddy. A rebel. Why do you always make fun of my feelings for you? I wonder if he's coming from a place of like... I really don't want her to fall in love with me because that's not going to be good for her or me. Yeah, that that spy business of you don't want to get close to me, babe, because you just get hurt. That spy business or that I secretly love Bashir business. Right. But uh, she also gets stumped from behind Adam because uh, surprise Ducat comes up. Yeah, Ducat straight up George McFly's Garrick here, telling Garrick to get his damn hands off her. Touch my daughter again, I'll kill you. How does Ducat get onto the station unannounced? I don't know. I mean, it serves the fun of the story more than the logic of the story. And there are a few scenes in this episode that could be described like that. But it really, like, clips along for that reason. This, This episode is a fucking wild ride. Right. Yeah. Pretty sure that Ducat would have thrown Garrick off the railing had Quark not intervened. <laughs> I guess Quark is just such a dirtbag that he like is never going to be the guy that's calling the police on someone. Nah. So he he uses he uses like the prospect of getting locked up in Odo's office as a as a way of convincing Ducat to unhand Garrick. I think if you're Quark, Garrick is a very important person to you <laughs> as an instrument of, of getting things done or hearing things or whatever. Yeah, that's that's possibly true. Although an unreliable instrument in the way that Garrick is always unreliable. Right. Uh, Zial is the voice of the viewer here and asking Ducat, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I took... The Mutara Nebula to the Badlands, <laughs> took a left at the wormhole, and headed all the way out of the station. <laughs> That's going to be you. That's going to be you in like in like a couple of months. Very exciting. Yeah. I am become the Californians. We're going to go to the Home Depot on Pico that has a small garden center now. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm uh <laughs> I'm throwing out all my winter jackets, Ben. Looking forward to blonde Adam. <laughs> yeah. Do I frost my tips up here or do I wait to do that down there by a professional? Uh, yeah, you get it get it done by an expert. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, your wife was texting my wife, like, what do I do with all my cute sweaters? And uh, my wife did not have good news. Yeah, they're all going away. I have two huge drawerfuls of sweaters that I don't ever wear. I just can't countenance getting rid of them. Yeah. My wife's favorite months are the fall and winter months for that reason. She loves a chunky sweater more than anything. Yeah. RSVP those months. Nice. <laughs> this makes as little sense as it does to not have the little D involved at this point in Worf's mission. I think the decision of taking a runabout is a little questionable. Yeah, I thought about this. I don't know if we've ever seen a runabout and the little D in space close to each other where we could get a sense of their relative size. But one headcanony thing I came up with was maybe this is really low profile and mm -hmm. doesn't look like anything to the Dominion, whereas right. the little D is like pretty provocative as like emphatically a warship. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Because they are very much going behind enemy lines to look for the source of the signal and... It's a sneak around. Worf is is saying like we can't just like cross Dominion space and go fly around looking for this and they come up with the idea of hiding their their penetration into Dominion space in a nebula. I really love that it takes like this happens so many times to Worf. It takes Garrick a ton of effort to convince Worf that nebulas are safe places in a time of war. Like <laughs> Worf <laughs> You remember the Paulston Nebula, right? Right. <laughs> you remember the most significant part of your time on the Enterprise D was hiding there. Right. Right? <laughs> I think Worf has CTE. From, uh, from all his combat brain injuries on the holodeck? From all the lightning. He has lightning-induced CTE is what he's got. <laughs> yeah. It uh, doesn't reflect super well on him. I mean, I, he also catches Garrick in a lie in this scene, though. And I wondered, like, is Garrick's game getting super weak? You know, because he, like, <laughs> he got caught by Bashir. Did you think he was caught? Do you think he, like, laid breadcrumbs for Bashir? Oh, no. I, I was interpreting that as this, as this moment in the runabout between Garrick and War. Oh. Yeah, like he's saying, like, I got to keep my, my lying blade sharp. He's like, look, Worf, you don't just go into a place where you know you're going to lie with a bunch of lies in the chamber. That's why I like to, uh, to blast a couple of lies in the runabout on my way to a thing, just so I can go in, like, super cool and calm, not yeah. filled up with a bunch of lies. They make a, uh, they make a bet who can... Who can go the longest without lying? <laughs> and 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 Garrick is like, it's different for you, Worf. For us, it's part of our lifestyle. Worf is like, I have a difficult time lying when someone is looking at me through it. <laughs> and then they get uh, a look out the window of the runabout and there's somebody <laughs> that they want to lie to, like nude across the street. Jesus. <laughs> I'm just I'm just doing the Seinfeld metaphor further. Right. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> that was the episode where there there was a naked lady across the street, right? Yeah. That was that was uh. That's the what that's what broke Kramer. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? 
This is another scene in which Garrick really sells Worf on the idea of continuing the mission. Because before they even get to the nebula, Worf is like, nah, too dangerous. Got to turn around. But Garrick closes him big time. We owe it to them to do everything in our power to find them and bring them home. It's the honorable thing to do. So they continue, but unfortunately... That nebula is full of ticks, ticks of all sizes. It's like turning over a log and then finding like 200 centipedes underneath it. It yeah. is terrible. It's my wife's nightmare. Yeah. While all of this is happening, the episode is still periodically cutting back to the station and following the Gul Dukat is worried about Zial associating with Garrick storyline. Right. In a way that I found astonishing. <laughs> <laughs> we're really doing this, right? Yeah. We're really going to cut away from the fleet of ticks to uh, hear, hear Kira defend her decision to allow Zial to associate with Garrick. Yeah. It's one of these characters in Star Trek where I'm like, is she supposed to be 20 or is she supposed to be 14? It It doesn't help because the actor is different every time we see her. Yeah. And I just feel like the episode like, refuses to make a decision. Yeah, how much agency does she have? And I think by questioning her age, Ben, you're spot on in doing that. Kira, we are told, is a a caretaker for Zial, but in what way, really? Right, like the idea of Kira having some responsibility for the decisions that Zial is making would be... A different matter if we knew that Zial lived with Kira, if she was like her guardian or something like that. But I don't get the sense that that's what's going on. Like Kira was living with the O'Briens for a while. I mean, one thing neither of us are saying and that the episode explicitly does not say is how old is Garrick? Garrick is like 50. (laughs) Zial might be an age between 14 and 20. Maybe. She might be 20. Yeah, so Garrick is a fucking creep, is what you're saying. (laughs) Why isn't anyone talking about this? Yeah, I don't know. If you're going to fuck around with the actor playing Zial, and you're going to introduce the idea of attraction between them, I think before this episode was the time to cast her as as someone a little older. But I think also that it's tough, right? Because we've seen Zial as so young, so much younger many episodes ago that right. I think the, they're really stuck in the casting with her. Yeah, like the refusal of Star Trek to to like stake out a a Rubicon between being a minor and being a grown-up is an ongoing frustration. <laughs> yeah, it's what gets us into trouble for telling jokes about that shit. I know. <laughs> it's Star Trek's fault. That's what I've been <laughs> saying all along. <laughs> Don't get mad at us. We're just confused about what the show is trying to say. (laughs) All right. (laughs) The scene ends with Dukat leveling some not-so-veiled threats at Kira. You've betrayed me, and I promise I won't forget it. And Kira, to his face, showing an air of defiance. But once Dukat leaves the scene, I think she kind of slumps into her seat going like, 
I think she's feeling a little bit of regret at stirring up this beehive. Not that she's scared of Ducat, but that it's just going to be an ongoing pain in the ass. Right. Ducat is is somebody who's always going to hold the grudge. Something happens here production-wise that I'm sure you noticed too, and that is how narrow the focus is when you shoot a scene this way and how you need to account for where an actor is leaning in and out because- Uh, Ducat in this scene is very still in his seat and he always remains in tack sharp focus and Kira is moving forward and backward and that's one of the reasons why she's soft throughout the entire thing. Yeah, the the focus puller is like missing her whenever she moves. Right. And that's too bad. The consequence of all these ticks coming out of the nebula is that the runabout is boarded and then Garrick takes a butt of a rifle to the face. They got like a bit of a distress signal out. Like yeah. we get a, a, a brief scene in ops where they're like, yeah, it says like, it's, this is something from war if it's like build up, blah, 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 imminent. Right. <laughs> it just says alive, alive, alive. Yeah. But the focus is on Worf and Garrick being delivered into Jem'Hadar space jail. And uh, this is a very like, like breezy open concept jail. It's it's like it seems like a pretty nice place to hang if it if it wasn't a a brutal prison. Like a couple of times on TNG, a character or two would be stuck in space jail and it would seem like really desperately shitty. This one doesn't seem like that bad. It's just uh it's just a, it's just a confinement, you know. Hey, I'm Kevin O'Connor and welcome to this old asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> now when you're building an internment camp <laughs> on a piece of shit asteroid you're gonna want to have a place for your prisoners to do the calisthenics <laughs> i'll show you how to build a sumo ring using easy to find household materials this asteroid prison is a is a single bubble of atmosphere with no no livable surface in the terrain beyond. So there is no electronic frontier. There is no stockade. Escape means death. There is the plastic plumber's lament. <laughs> what did we find in the walls? Well, a bit of a surprise. <laughs> is that Bagwano? <laughs> Why even have a prison if you're the Jem Hadar? Is a question that uh, I thought at this moment in time. Seems like a lot of work. It does, but like so much of what they do, I wondered did, like they call it, you know, Penal Colony 371. There's no escape. And yet this place was built in a way that allowed an Abrantain to send a distress signal. So I kind of wondered if it's like Jem'Hadar Roach Motel. You know, a thing I thought of too was that I wonder if when you're making golden copies of people, it just makes sense to make to keep the originals around. That's interesting, yeah. In case, in case your founder goes and gets killed, then what? Like, are you unable to make another copy? Hmm. An accurate yeah. copy without them? I don't know. I like that. The Jem'Hadar in charge of this prison is the scaliest Jem'Hadar we've ever come across, and uh, he introduces Worf and Garrick to their to their new prison, 
And uh, it's basically like like all it is is just a a place that they can move about freely. And uh, the first person they meet is uh, is the real General Martok. Right. How long have you been here? Two years. The Martok we've seen for seasons and seasons has not been the real Martok at all. Yeah, yeah, we found that out in the uh, in the. Martok is a gold uh, Cisco as a Klingon episode, but this is this is the guy that the gold Martok replaced. I think there was a question at that point about how long Martok had been gold Martok. Yeah, and this Martok confirms that it's the whole time. Yeah, two years. Yeah, which is nuts. Garrick gets uh, gets a moment with Tane, who has taken quite ill. His his heart is giving out. Some major, like explicit, explicitly daddy issue based uh, stuff between Garrick and Tane. This is Garrick's daddy issues episode, right? More than any other, and yeah, he's uh, he's here like on Tane's death bunk bed. Uh, well, while Tane kind of, you know, lives his last his last few hours. Uh, but but he's very gratified that his his distress signal uh, got Garrick there, uh, but you know super disapproving of the fact that Garrick didn't come with the cavalry. They don't say it explicitly, but I think that an Aubrey is dying of unflattering camera angles. <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing that gets progressively worse as he gets closer to death. Did you notice yeah. that? Like they get further and further down his body, shooting up his neck. Yeah, I think it's intentional. I think yeah. he's supposed to look bad. Yeah, and that, God, that filthy bunk with the dirty pillowcase and stuff. Yeah. You got to clean those linens if you want a sick person to live and get better. Well, they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. On Deep Space Nine, and this is one of those ones that uh, that Gull Ducat gets invited to. Ducat being the Pat Buchanan of this one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they take a census of like the condition of the Alpha Quadrant major players and uh the you know like the Romulans and the Cardassians lost a lot of material to their adventure in in the Gamma Quadrant. The Klingon War has devastated a lot of Klingon ships and Federation ships, which have also been devastated by the recent Borg attack, which I guess is a reference to First Contact, right? Right, yeah. So uh, so Starfleet is low on, on ships as well. Well, you know, they send you galaxy-class boys out here to the far reaches. Me, I just haul my butt back and forth between star bases. <sighs> Not very good-looking situation. They're really kind of marooned out there. Which is sort of the feeling that the show has always injected right. into the Deep Space Nine right? is supposed to feel far away from from Federation space. And so it's like two days before any any other Federation starships are gonna be able to make it to to come to their defense. And if this like huge armada of ticks is gonna come through the wormhole, it's uh, it's them and the Defiant that are gonna be the first line of defense. Everyone takes a beat and looks at the glass case on the wall that says break to destroy the wormhole because <laughs> that's kind of the final solution here destroy the wormhole that's the last stand it's a uh, it's destroy the aperture right because uh they, they're not going to actually destroy the 
celestial temple, which is of great concern to Kira. But if they close the door, then the Dominion can't come through and kill everybody. And that's a price that Cisco and the Federation are willing to pay. Yeah, it doesn't go over well in the room for that reason with Kira and also with Dax, because losing Worf on the other side of the hole would not be ideal either. No one in the room is riding for Garrick, though. <laughs> He's is. fine over there. Yeah. That, so so Cisco gives them 36 hours to make it back. It seems like Ducat's pretty happy to leave both of them on the other side. Right. And uh, Dax is the one that uh, that really feels this in, you know, the most painfully. More and more. And more. Dude, sweet. More. 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 You near, buddy? More. Oh. Stop. Have a time. Back on the asteroid, uh, Martok is sharing his escape from Shawshank plan oh. with the group. And there's like a, a picture of Lursa and Bator tacked up to this concrete wall <laughs> <laughs> covering the hole on the other side. That day, General Martok <laughs> crawled through 500 meters of Jem'Hadar shit and came out smelling clean on the other side. They've got to move fast because an Abrantain is really circling the drain and they think he'll be dead soon. But uh, luckily, Martok is going to get some extra help in this escape plan and reveals Dr. Bashir. Yeah, old uniform Dr. Bashir. Which means he's been gone for quite some time. Yeah, they say about a month in... Uh... In the dialogue here? We know it's him because he does the golden blood test immediately. And yeah, he says it's been a month. <laughs> so it was Dr. Bashir Gold Edition that helped Odo with the changeling, right? Right. And either couldn't or wouldn't save its life at the end. Which is an interesting twist. Yeah. It was Dr. Bashir Gold Edition... That was helping Cisco when he was having his vision quest, his Bajoran vision quest. Oh, it was Dr. Bashir that delivered the O'Brien baby. Wow. Golden Bashir's seen everything. Yeah. Cut to a scene of O'Brien like drinking with Golden Bashir, and like his inner monologue is like, boy, Bashir usually drinks a lot more than this. <laughs> I wonder what the fuck his what, problem is. What happened to this guy? <laughs> This guy used to be cool. He used to be able to hang. He all of a sudden doesn't know anything about World War II fighter planes. <laughs> we get some fun stuff with Dr. Bashir Gold Edition walking around the space station. Like they're they're talking about like what is his mission? And the the first scene that we get is him delivering some sandwiches to Dax and O'Brien who are setting up the station to shut the wormhole. <laughs> this so. is another great example of that kind of edit we were talking about before. Like yeah, Martok yeah. asks the question, wonder what he's doing over there. And then we cut to Bashir just being nice to Dax yeah. and O'Brien. Spooky. But you can't help but wonder like, oh my God, are these like poison sandwiches or something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I would I, I would realize something was wrong with Bashir if he tried to give me a sandwich. Right. He he should know better. Yeah. I don't like that shit. Word travels pretty fast on the station, Ben, that a, an attack is imminent, and the expectation by Ducat is that Zial is going to get the fuck off the station. 
And when he finds her at the transport, she doesn't have any bags. I'm not leaving. He's being real stern dad about this. You know how stern dad acts. He's like, I'm your dad and you're going to do what I say because I'm your dad. Yeah. But Zial doesn't prescribe to that. And she may be 14, but she might be 20 and and an adult (laughs) and who's able to make her own decisions about these kinds of things. (laughs) Oh, it's crazy. (laughs) Dukat thinks it's about Garrick and he's partially right. And then uh, Dukat pivots into reverse psychology when when Zial says that she's staying and it's like, fine, you can stay. I want you to stay, actually. Stay and die. Doesn't bother me. She's like, okay, I will. I mean, this might be the most dad-daughter depiction we've seen of them so yeah. far. Like that kind of quick thinking and pivoting in the in the spirit of a fight, in the heat of a fight, I mean. Yeah. It's just so nuts that like the episode really wants us to care about this storyline when it's like 50 right. ships are coming through the wormhole. It's like this. these are the like personal relationships we're going to show being blown apart by the imminent threat. Like, where's Keiko? Like, where's Jake? It remains to be seen how instrumental Dukat will be in the second half of this. But if you're going to care about civilians on the station, one can look no further than Keiko and a newborn baby. You know, show us what they're they're going through, because uh, those are characters that we have a lot more reps with. And Jake and Nug. Right. So... Garrick and Bashir get back to old tricks pretty quickly in in jail. And Garrick is like sort of preoccupied with the daddy issues with Tane. You know, he's like, I came to rescue him and uh, and I don't get a thank you. I don't get anything. You know, classic, uh, you know, running up against the brick wall that is dad that, uh, <laughs> that is so familiar in film and television. I mean, not to both sides it. But, uh-huh. I mean, you should never do a nice thing for a person with the expectation of a nice thing coming back to you. Like, and now Brentain is is not obligated to forgive just because Garrick did this thing. But it would be nice, right? Especially yeah. if Tane knows that he's, that he's going to die. You don't want to die with all this baggage. You want to die light. Yeah. And so Martok calls them in and Garrick goes and, and leans over Tane on his death bunk bed and extracts a, you know, an admission from Tane that he was proud of Garrick, even just for a moment at one point in his childhood. That day. I was kind of surprised that Tane gave the satisfaction of this to Garrick. I thought it was fun how obliquely he did it. Yeah. You know, like there's... He did a thing that were a court reporter to read back the quotes, like would not in a court of law read as forgiveness or recognition yeah, it, of a father-son relationship. Like that part It's intentionally of, ambiguous. Yeah. I, I really started to feel something here uh, right up until the point that Anabrantain brandoed. Yeah. That's kind of a rip-off move. You ask me, ripping off one of the greats. Right. This is a character that we've had on the show for at least a few seasons and Paul Dooley is one of the great actors. Right. Yeah. It's 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 his right to uh, to Brando if uh, if we're saying goodbye to this character for good. The Brando is a significant moment for him, but also we get the solo brass instrument of the death of Anabrantain here. 
Yeah. The solo brass instrument is most frequently used for Starfleets. Yeah. I was shocked by this. It writes Garrick into the main cast in a way. I think it does. And in a very Starfleet turn, like he gets up, not broken up about the passing of his father and professional idol and turns to Worf, Martok, and Bashir and says, let's get the fuck out of here and forms the conspiracy to escape from jail. It's great. There's sort of like a, it feels a little Michael Bay shoddy, like when he gets up off of the yeah. off the bed, turns to camera. Yeah, like, it's that's a the, good moment. the camera spinning around as he stands up. Yeah, that's big fun. Fun. Gentlemen, I don't know about you, but my business here is done. Then I suggest we find a way out of here. Worf and Martok are, are down. They're down for the cause. Let's do it. Yeah. So, back in ops, they uh, are getting ready to shoot graviton beams at the wormhole slash celestial temple. And, you know, Kira says a little prayer, hoping that the prophets will forgive the, them. Dax raises the one last uh, mention of Worf and... Bashir Gold Edition says, you know, Worf is a Klingon warrior and he'll understand, you know, the decision we made here. And they uh, they pull the trigger, start the graviton beams, and then they crap out. And uh, and O'Brien goes over and looks in the uh, in the circuitry and he's like, why are there wooden shoes in here? Oh my God, Ben, I just thought of something. <laughs> it was Golden Bashir who was on Risa. Golden Bashir broke up with Lita. Was it though? Real Bashir is going to be so pissed. I don't know, because that's the old uniform. They were still in the old uniform when they went to Risa. Really? Yeah. So maybe it wasn't. <sighs> maybe it was. I mean, Lita was really in the driver's seat of that breakup. So Yeah, that's true. Like it, like Bashir will be disappointed, but he wouldn't have had any, any control over it either way. The thing that made me think of it was... Uh, was Bashir at Ops going like, yep, close the hole, Worf would understand. But <laughs> but like in the back of his mind, it's like, that fucker Worf ruined a great vacation. Like, <laughs> like now I'm going to end him forever. <laughs> you don't ruin another man's vacation, Worf. Otherwise you get yeah. locked behind the wormhole. So they all look up on the view screen in Ops and the space butthole spreads open and tick diarrhea dumps out. It is just rotten with ticks, Ben. Yeah. It and a dun-dun-dun. It is a best-of-both-worlds-style cliffhanger we got here. Yeah, a mid-season to be continued. That's big fun. Yeah. You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Did you like the episode, Adam? I thought this was great. This was as breathless as you described. I mean, outside of the deep, deep G story... <laughs> of of Ducat and his daughter, which, I mean, maybe will be explained in part two of this episode. It really clips. Yeah. I mean, even those parts clip. I, I was getting the bends a little bit, but I, I thought they were well-written and interesting yeah. despite seeming shoved in. They you know? did the right thing by making them so brief. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I really like the episode too. It feels fun and good. And uh, and and a lot of the like wrapping up old storylines that it felt like they were doing in the last episode feels like it 
this episode benefits from that kind of closure. Right. I've got a question I I don't know where else to put. What do you understand the rules of the prophets to be up until now? Because did you think it was weird that in the wardroom, like they came up with the plan, like the last ditch effort of closing the wormhole, but not killing the prophets in the process? Was there ever a thought of communicating with the prophets about this? Like, hey, could you could you squish all the ticks coming through? Right. <laughs> the wormhole has an extremely high dollar value. <laughs> and I feel like any and all alternatives to its closure should be on the table. I think it's fascinating that no one looks at Cisco and goes like, you know, don't you have a relationship with that place down the street? Uh, couldn't you go yeah. knock on their door? See if they can do anything about this? Hmm. Weird. We may never fully understand the rules of interacting with the prophets, but I thought that might be, at least in the form of a question and an answer in that wardroom scene, uh, it's something to touch on. Because right. it's right there. I think uh, I think you make a good point. I think that they do a lot in the dialogue to assuage some of those concerns. Like the, like Cisco says, like, when have you ever known the prophets to be incapable of getting in touch with Bajor if they needed to? Yeah. And... That sort of plants the question of like how much in control of the spatial phenomenon of the wormhole are the prophets? Could they just open it back up the second they need to? Yeah, it seems like, that way. Who knows? I mean, that's the problem of having a uh, a deuce ex machina outside the station, huh? Mm-hmm. It's dropping a, it's dropping a deuce ex tickina at the end of this episode. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Uh, that one will not qualify as title of episode. Oh, sorry. Well, I got that earlier one though. So unless some of the great shit you have said in between then and now supersedes mine, <laughs> I still have that. I c- I could still hang my hat on that one ding candidate. Ben, the butthole full of ticks outside of our podcast is the. Email account that contains priority one messages. You want to see what we got in there? <laughs> Not now that you put it that way, but twist my arm. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message is from Commander Alex S., and it is to Colleyville Middle School Star Trek Club. Oh, no. I really hope middle schoolers aren't listening to this filthy program. I think middle schoolers constitute uh, the majority of our audience, Ben. <laughs> yeah, if... Uh, if the drunk people in line at the, uh, uh, you know, in the merch line at the end of our live shows are any indication, it's mostly middle school. I'm really beginning to rethink the whole uh, no all ages venues policy of our live shows, Ben. <laughs> we could be doing ourselves a great disservice. Maybe. Anyways, here's how the message goes. It's 1992 and Leanne P., Brad T., Josh S., Kyle K., Crystal A., and I were all comrades in arms in the Star Trek Club standing strong against the horrors of middle school. I don't know if any of you are friends of DeSoto, but just in case you are, thanks for helping me get through CMS. Happy 40th birthday, everyone. Also, fuck Raz. 
plebeians forever. Whoa. Wow. So fortunately, these aren't underage listeners. This is sort of a time traveling P1 message here. Yeah, this is uh, this is somebody sending sending uh, like an anabrantane like <laughs> distress signal out into the wild blue yonder and seeing if Leanne P, Brad T, Josh S, Kyle K, or Crystal A are out there. Alex S says alive, alive, yeah. alive. Can you decode this message? Do you know Do you know who Raz is? Plavibians forever. Uh, comforting. To hear that uh, that Raz and Plavim still a going concern out there. Yeah, some somebody's got them on the on the mind. I mean, Raz and Plavim both spent thousands of dollars on P ones, and then we stopped hearing from them. I, I mean, I hope they're okay. Yeah, they didn't run I, out of money. You know, Plavim spent thousands of dollars, but I think it was like like largely the Rascals <laughs> that were spending money on the other side. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's why uh, that's why there's such an affinity for the Plavibians. <laughs> you know, Plavim sent us Christmas presents one year, so that's right. I still have that hazmat suit. Our second priority one message was sent from Captain First Rank Marco Ramiush. Whoa! And the message is for Jack Ryan, CIA, and Captain Bart Mancuso, USS Dallas et al. Wow. The message goes like this. Ping is the message. Wow. Without a preferred time frame for this message to air. Damn. So as this ping goes out, like uh, like a ripple in a pond, it's just going to ripple throughout time. So Bart Mancuso is sending is sending Morse code over the over the uh, what do you call it the periscope, right? Ramius has responded with one ping only. Yeah, it sure seems that way. Well, if you would like to ping a sub that you want to make sure isn't doesn't have hostile intent, or an old middle school classmate, yeah, you head to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It is a hundred bucks for a personal ping and two hundred bucks for a promotional ping, and we really appreciate the folks who do it. Hey, Adam. What is that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! So in the scene where Dukat has Garrick up against the railing, there is a background actor doing something totally inexplicable, and I don't understand it. He's... I'm, I'm queuing up the time code here. It's over Dukat's shoulder... It's about at the 13 minute and 40 second mark. We cut back and forth between, like, I really like this composition. It's it's Garrick's head over the railing and the assembled bar tra- patrons below. And then we get a uh-huh. two shot where uh, Ducat's in profile and Quark is centered up. And between their faces are some bar patrons in the background. There's a, yeah. there's a gentleman sitting at his table and he's making big mouth energy like he's clearly asking what happened but because his face is so brightly lit and his clothes are so dark you can't help but just see him talk and because his mouth is right next to Dukat's mouth yeah, I thought it was a very strange bit of framing that 
I found personally distracting. Yeah, the AD goes around and tells that background performer to knock it back or we're going to put you in a different part of the scene. He clearly says what happened, but he says it like uh, like King Hippo in in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Like he makes a great big mouth about it. Yeah. So that background actor is going to be my drunk Shimoda. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is Anabrin Tain. He's a guy who has kind of vacillated back and forth between affectionate and, you know, cold and calculating. But um, the fact that he is literally on his deathbed and unable to just be directly vulnerable with Garrick really worked for me. You know, I feel like that's very true to character. Yeah. And he gives a a little anecdote that could be interpreted as I'm proud of you and a loving father, but also I can't be held to that. And for for a guy who gets like a with special guest appearance by credit or something like something along those lines, they don't use him that much, but that scene uh, really worked for me. I felt like it was a character that I didn't know I needed a, like a strong arc that included closure for but I liked the way they, they handled him. And uh, and he was my drunk Shimoda. It was really sophisticatedly done. I'm so yeah. happy that it was concluded this way rather than uh, with any sort of treacly, sweet, come to daddy moment, you know? Yeah. Oh, and it's led into in a scene where Garrick is like deriding the concept of sentimentality. Yeah. Like he, he considers it such a weakness. And then Garrick is like, bathing in sentimentality and trying to get his dad to be a good dad. And uh, he, he doesn't quite get it, but he rounds what he gets up to a, a good final moment. I feel like this doesn't happen all the time, so it should be noted. A lot of times, two-part episodes have one that's just all set up, you know, set up for the second. Yeah. And I feel like this episode can really hang on its own. Yeah. It's really well done. Gotta get that, get that gold press You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. 
Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. But uh, I would like to hear about the episode we're going to watch next, Ben. Oh, yeah. Well, that would be season five, episode 15 by Inferno's Light, part two. Led by Gul Dukat, Cardassia joins the Dominion and prepares to take over the Alpha Quadrant. I think you could have seen that coming, right? The Cardis are always yeah. going to choose. <laughs> it's like, uh, we, like we recently learned this on an episode of Friendly Fire uh, where Hiro- Hirohito said that the chances of Germany winning the European theater were 100%. Yeah. Like, I feel like the Cardassians are looking at the scene going like, I think we need to align ourselves with the military that's going to win this one. Yeah. Uh, Gold Ducat is always going to make the duplicitous turn. Yeah. That's his utility as a character. So yeah. it will be fun. Like, he's, like, he is such not an antagonist in this episode, other than just to tell Zial that he doesn't want her sniffing around Garrick's place, but this is great. Looking forward to it. You know what else I'm looking forward to, Adam, is finding out how we will be watching the next episode. If you head over to gach.biz slash game, you can find the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets, where the runabout is currently on square 43, and uh, a few squares ahead is a Coco Nono episode, and a few squares past that is... A space butthole that has gotten us 
before and pretty recently <laughs> uh, took us down to the fuck it, we'll do it live square, which, uh, you know, I, I do think we need to think about what could be on that square in place of fuck it, we'll do it live. But uh, we have not gotten out ahead of ourselves on that. So. Oh, I think it'll be just as much trouble to do it live when I'm living in L.A. as it is right now. So. <laughs> I don't really see yeah. a, a reason to change that. Uh, well, I'm going to uh, cue this up. And uh, and roll them bones. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Okay, here we go. Adam, I've rolled a two. Tula! Did I win? Hardly. We're on square 45, the doorstep of a Kilco no-no, but a regular app for next week. Hey, all right. Not bad. Yeah, it's still in play. I like that. Yeah, all of the danger still exists. <laughs> Uh, so uh, that will be next week's ep. Hey, thanks to everyone who made today's show possible. Of course, you know I'm talking about the people who go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. You know, one of the things that is, uh, I'm sure everybody can understand this, uh, true of the uh, group of people that donate is that, you know, in between Max Fun Drives, that group of people shrinks by a percentage point or two because, you know, people move, their address is different, so their credit card doesn't process, or they can't afford to keep up with it any any longer. They started listening to the content of this program and right. made a different decision that, about where their yeah. support should go. But, uh, but, you know, that shrinkage affects our bottom line. So if, you know, and I know that the drive is like for sure the most fun time of year to become a member. But if you're in a position to uh, support us to the tune of five bucks a month, uh, it really makes a big difference for us. So if you head to MaximumFun.org slash donate, we would really encourage you to do so. Shrinkage is a natural thing that happens to a listener-supported show. We often record this uh, right after getting out of the pool, and the water is cold, and, uh, you know, you get all the bonus content if you support at the five bucks a month level. That's all it takes, a fiver. Yeah, if you're not supporting it, get on there. Do it. You can also leave a nice review for us on uh, your podcatching app of choice. we got to thank Adam Ragusia, who made the original music for this program. Uh, he has a great cooking channel on YouTube. If you just search Adam Ragusia on YouTube, you can find it. Uh, I just watched a, uh, his episode for Chicken Tikka Masala today, Adam. He's got a Greatest Gen shout-out in that episode. Very cool. Yeah. He's taking off his headphones and then putting them in an, in an oil fryer. He's battering and frying our, uh, our episode, and, uh, and we love him for it. Delicious. Uh, we also love Bill Tilly, who's at Bill Tilly 1973. He, the creator of the collectible comedy cards that are made for every episode of The Greatest Generation. Thanks to him and everyone else who makes fun art pieces about our show. Yeah, follow all of the social medias. There's the hashtag Greatest Gen on Twitter. There's groups on Facebook and Reddit and uh, there's the Wikia. There's all all kinds of places online to pal around with the friends of DeSoto who are a really delightful group of people. And uh, we really appreciate it. And I think we have a couple more live shows coming up, right? At this point? That's right. This week we will be in Houston and Austin, Texas. Yeah. Come on out, Texas. Say what's up. Uh, these will be the last two shows of 2019 for us yeah 
So come out and see us. Come out and have a great time with us. The Greatest Gen live shows, really the best. Yeah, it's one of the one of the most fun things you can do of an evening. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. An episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which struggles furiously to clench down on its butthole. <laughs> you don't want those ticks to get out, Ben. No, keep the ticks in the butthole. Clench! 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 MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.